How to be a spiritual hero. How to be a spiritual hero for your family. How to be a spiritual hero for your family. Let me define family uh, the way I want to use it this morning. Uh, Certainly family has a very broad idea with it. Family, of course, are those that live at your household. We certainly want to be a hero uh, for all of those. Family also is your church family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to try to be a spiritual hero uh, for them too. The family also can refer to all of mankind. Uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 9 speaks of God being the father of all souls, father of all spirits. He is that in a creative sense, not necessarily in a salvation sense, but in a creative sense. God created everybody. So in that sense, he's the father of everybody. So we want to be a spiritual hero to anyone that we are around. We want to be a spiritual hero for our family. Looking right here at the passage we read earlier from Philippians chapter 3, Paul instructs us to look for spiritual heroes. Notice what he says in Philippians 3 and 17. He says, mark them, mark them that so walk and follow our example. Mark them. Mark those who are doing that. Those are our spiritual heroes. He says, further, not everybody's doing this. And he says, those who are not doing this, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul Paul took no uh, happiness. He took no joy in saying that. He says, I say this to you with tears, but they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He goes on to explain them in verse 19 of Philippians 3. Here are the enemies of cross. Here, Here are... The ones who are not your heroes. First, they mind earthly things. Their their mind is on earth things. Okay. And so they can't be our our heroes. And then he says, they glory in this. And and it's very shameful for them to do this. But they glory in their shame. They glory in these earthly things. He says, they're very self-focused because their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Just another way of saying... That they're extremely focused on on all of what's going on in their own lives. And so therefore, their end is perdition. Their end will be destruction. These are not our spiritual heroes. And this is not how we become a spiritual hero. We want to focus on how to be a spiritual hero for your family. It's probably best, at least it is for me. It's for me. best for me to think about the time in which I'm going to take my last breath here on this earth. That time is coming. And I know, and probably for any of us, I want to be able to to look back and say I've done my best to be a spiritual hero, a good example, a spiritual hero for those who have been around me. I've given you my best, Lord. And then to be able just to lay myself in His hands. Now, there are two sides to this being a spiritual hero. There's the foundational side, and then there's the practical side, and we'll look at both of these for a few minutes this morning. The foundational side and the practical side. Foundational, there are some things that a spiritual hero just knows. First of all, a spiritual hero knows that heaven and hell 
are both eternal. He knows that heaven and hell endure uh, forever. Jesus says this in Matthew 25 and verse 46. The, the wicked people, those on the left, will go away into everlasting punishment. But those on the right, the righteous, will go away into eternal life. And so a spiritual hero, he knows this. He, in other words, he knows that this life is important in the sense that it is a preparation for that which is to come. A spiritual hero knows that there's much more to life than this life, but he also knows that this life is the preparatory time. Okay. This is our probationary period where we're getting ready for really that which is to come in the next life. A second thing a spiritual hero knows, he knows that you can trust God's forgiveness. A spiritual hero knows you can trust God's forgiveness. God proves this. He proves it time and again, but especially on the cross. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4, God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And then just a couple sentences later, Paul is saying that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. God proved he's serious about forgiving us. He wants us to be in heaven with him. He proves that on the cross. God loves people. We used to sing with the pew packers. He, he, he loves people. And he loves people like you and me. And he proved it on Calvary. He proved it on Calvary. And so we can trust God's forgiveness. And then a third thing the spiritual hero knows. He knows that there's just one way to the pearly gates. There's just one way. A spiritual hero knows this. He knows there's just one way to the pearly gate. And Jesus, of course, is that way. Jesus had no trouble explaining himself. He had no trouble explaining. He knows the difference between what is singular and what is plural. And he knows how to explain it. For example, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. My church. That possessive pronoun there is pointing out a singular noun. My church. My church. Right? So we say, well, you know, whose phone is that? Well, that's my phone. Okay. No one has in our minds whatsoever that there are several phones laying on the table up here. There's one phone. That's my phone. Jesus said, I will build my church. There's just one way. The Holy Spirit had no problem guiding men like the Apostle Paul in explaining the oneness of the church. For example, in Ephesians 4, verse 4, there is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. Well, one body, no problem. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 explains that this body is the church. The Holy Spirit is very good at, at, at defining His terms, and He does this. And so the spiritual hero knows there's just one way to those pearly gates. And then a fourth thing that a spiritual hero knows, foundational-wise, on the foundational side, side of things, a spiritual hero knows that the Word of God stands forever. When this, when this universe is on fire, the Word of God will still stand. 
Jesus says in John 12 and verse 48, The words that I speak unto you shall judge you in that last day. The word that I speak unto you. He, he said in that verse, He that rejects me and receives not my sayings, my words, has one who judges him. The word that I speak unto you, the same will judge you in that last day. Or listen to Jesus in Matthew 24 and 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. A spiritual hero knows this. He stands on these things. He knows that heaven and hell, heaven and hell are real and they last forever. He knows that God is serious and God can be trusted about forgiveness. He knows there's just one way through Jesus Christ uh, to, to the Father. And he knows the Word of God stands uh, forever. That's the foundation upon which a spiritual hero stands. Now let's make our transition here to the practical side of things. I want to notice with you what are some ideals, what are some qualities that a spiritual hero takes with him from day to day as he seeks to serve the Lord. First of all, a spiritual hero is able to do much with little. A spiritual hero is able to do much with little. I think about Acts chapter 9 in Dorcas. Dorcas. And what a great influence she had as a disciple of the Lord. And yet, what did she have? She had some material and she had a needle. And she made tunics and other garments. And when she died, people were able to show what she had done for so many saints who were in need. But what did she have? She just had very few things, but she was able to do much with what she had. We talked a couple of Wednesday nights ago about our money, and we recalled in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, that there were churches of Macedonia who were very poor, but yet even out of their poverty, they were able to give much to the Lord. That's what a spiritual hero does. A spiritual hero is able to do much with little. I think about the Apostle Paul being in prison of all places. Being in prison, Philippians 1, 13 and 14. And though he was in prison, now how much do you have when you're in prison? Okay, your means are very limited when you're in prison. But even being in prison, he was able through his teaching to embolden the other Christians who were there in Rome. In other words, they said to themselves, there Paul is teaching and rejoicing and praising the Lord and he's tied up in prison. We're out here as free people. What are we doing? And so Paul, by his example, he emboldened those. And you can read about that in Philippians 1, 13 and 14. He does much with little. He does much with little. What do I have here? Well, I have... A Fishers of Men pamphlet. Pamphlet. We have this kind of material scattered throughout uh, this building. Okay. And we, we mentioned these. The reason we mention these is because of this very point we're making right now. You don't need much to make a great influence for the kingdom of the Lord. There have been more people added to the church through a simple pamphlet 
and an open Bible. That's it. That basically is all you need. Okay. And they're not just fishers of men pamphlets. There's a lot of good pamphlets. We, we got introduced to the Back to the Bible pamphlets earlier this year. Just opening up simple pamphlets and reading through them, studying through them with someone else, whether you're at a table with them or you're Zooming with them, whatever you're doing, it can be done. That's what a spiritual hero does. He does much with little. We think about, of course, 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, David. No one else wanted to go against Goliath. What did David have? 1 Samuel 17, verse 40. Well, he had five smooth stones. He had a staff in his hand. And he had his shepherd's bag, his shepherd's pouch. That's all he had. But he also had trust in the Lord. A tremendous, powerful, deep down conviction and trust in the Lord. Now... I'm going to throw up to you 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. 2 Samuel 23, and verse 8. I'm just going to throw it to you. It's a strange... It, it, it's discussing David's mighty men. And it's always an interesting study. The men that worked for David and did a lot for him. But there's a, there's a name there. 2 Samuel 23... And verse 8. Okay. Now, the name is Joshab Bas Shebeth. Joshab Bas Shebeth. Shebeth. You see that? Now, how do you remember that name? Well, you can turn over and look at it. Or, you can just break it down. Okay. So you got Josh. Everybody can remember Josh. Okay. Then you got Bass, she, Beth. Well, Bass is a fish. And Beth is a name. We have a Beth here. Okay. Who has a daddy who goes fishing? Bass, Beth is a she. Bass, she, Beth. So you remember Josh, you remember Beth, you got it. Okay. Joshua, Bass, she, Beth. Beth. What did he do? With one spear, he killed 800 men at one time. Okay. This is just to illustrate that you can do much with little. A spiritual hero does much with little. And we're not bringing this up so that we, somebody would think about going out and killing. This is a different time, of course, during King David's time, a different time. But it still illustrates the principle that a spiritual hero does much with little. Secondly, on the practical side of things, a spiritual hero shines under pressure. A spiritual hero shines under pressure. One of my favorite examples is Micaiah, 1 Kings 22, 13 and 14. Micaiah, he was a prophet. This is during the time of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Ahab, king of Israel. And the question there was, uh, should they go against Ramoth Gilead in battle? All the prophets of Ahab were saying, go, the Lord will be with you. But something didn't sound right there, so... 
Jehoshaphat said, is there not just another prophet somewhere? He said, well, there is. There's Micaiah, but I hate him because she always speaks against me. Well, they said, well, let's hear from him. So they send a messenger to go get Micaiah. Now, the messenger is interesting. The messenger says to Micaiah, he says, now look, Micaiah, you can just see this happen. Look, Micaiah, all the other prophets with one accord, all in unison, all of them are saying things in favor of the king. Let your word be like theirs. For, for this once, Micaiah, let your word... And Micaiah says, 1 Kings twenty-two fourteen. he says, What the Lord says unto me, that will I speak. You see, Micaiah was able, able to connect the what into that. What the Lord says, that is what I'm going to speak. We've got to do like Micaiah. We've got to be able to shine under pressure. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over there in Daniel uh, chapter 3? That was amazing. They were not going to bow down to that golden image. They were not going uh, to do it. The king gave them ample opportunity uh, to do it. It, it kind of uh, tickles me a little bit to read about this. Uh, the king says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, Daniel 3 verse 14, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor do you worship the golden image that I have set up? Now look, I'm going to give you another chance. He says, when you hear all this music sounding, then, then if you'll just fall down and worship the image that I have made and I have set up, everything will be well and good with you. But if not, if you don't worship, then you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now in response, Daniel 3 16 and 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, you already know what we're going to say. You know our conviction. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, underscore, but if not, Daniel 3.18, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. I tell you, there's nothing like shining under pressure. Shining, when, when pressure comes upon us, we ought to re-energize ourselves. We've got to find the energy when there's pressure, when there's tough times. Okay. When things seem impossible, that's the time that we must shine. Think about what uh, Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 9. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you do not faint. If you do not faint. Now, now Paul is not saying that it's wrong to get tired. That's not what he's saying. Everybody gets tired. Paul got tired. He's not saying it's wrong to get tired. What he's saying is, as you get tired, then be sure to re-energize yourself. Be sure to step forward at that time and let your good works shine. Okay. Don't be weary in well-doing. Keep on doing well, even though you're tired. That's the time. That's the time sometimes the world is looking on us even with a sharper Focus sometimes when they know that we're going through tough times. And what will they see? 
the Lord says that's the time to shine. That's especially the time uh, to shine. Now, I love this in Acts chapter 4 and 19 and 20 when they're encouraging Peter and John, okay, we're going to release you, but we don't want you going out and speaking in this name of Jesus uh, anymore. So, Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter said, and John also, answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't help ourselves. We will be speaking what we have seen and heard. Shining under pressure. That's what a spiritual hero does. In the third place, a spiritual hero loves what he's doing. He just deep down loves what he's doing. The supporting verse here is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Paul says the love of Christ, well, controls us. All right, there's different translations here. I like all of them. The love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ compels us. Compels us. I I, I might like that translation even better. The love of Christ compels us. Compels us. This was the original thought of the word amateur. Amateur. Now I know we use the word amateur today to refer to to maybe a professional sports player who has not made it yet to the big time, but is still being paid for uh, his efforts. But originally the word amateur was simply this definition, for the love of it. For the love of it. That describes a Christian. We do things for the pure love of it. For the pure love of it. That's it. We're amateurs is what we are. We're amateurs. There's too much professionalism creeping into the church. We're amateurs. We're doing this just for the pure love of it. No matter what the circumstances might be otherwise, we'd still be doing this because we love the Lord. The love of Christ controls us. Controls us. You can criticize me. And you ought to. You ought to. You ought to criticize me. Because I criticize me. I am my biggest critic. I'm down on myself a lot of the time. Okay, you ought to criticize me. But that's not, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. Because that's not what controls me. That's not what controls me. Criticism is not what should control us. There's only one thing that controls us, compels us. That's the love of Christ. And I'm also, I'm going to make some mistakes. Boy, I tell you what. I can make some whoppers. Dumb, just as dumb as a blank wall. That's me. I make mistakes. I do. But my mistakes are not going to have me to quit whatsoever, ever serving the Lord. No, why? Because of 2 Corinthians 5 and 14. That's not what controls me. That's not what constrains me. That's not what compels me to to walk the next step. A spiritual hero... Just loves what he's doing. 
He just does it for the love of it. And fourthly, a spiritual hero finds a way to do the hard things. Fourth, a spiritual hero finds a way to do the hard things. Mm. Now Paul, when he writes 2 Timothy, he's in a situation, he's in a dungeon, a real dungeon. He's about to die. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. The time of my departure is close. I'm about to die. Now, as he explains in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, a lot of people at that time forsook him. A lot of his brothers and sisters in Christ just forsook him. But notice what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. He says... Only Luke is with me. Now there's a spiritual hero. Luke, the great physician, or or the the beloved physician is called. Luke, the beloved physician, the doctor. Luke is the spiritual hero. And then notice in 2 Timothy 1, 15 to 18, another guy, his name is Onesiphorus. It says Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Rather, when he came to Rome, he sought him out. Okay, now... There's no sign in Rome saying dungeons this way. The Apostle Paul over here. Okay. These dungeons were so filthy and nasty and underground that you had to search and find where your person is. And you're putting your life in risk by even doing that. But Onesiphorus said, I've got to go and encourage Paul. You see, a spiritual hero finds a way to do the hard things. In Mark chapter 2, these men are bringing in another man on a stretcher. And the man is lame. But they know Jesus is in the house. You remember what to do. They go up to the top of the house and break through the roof to lower him down because the house was so crowded. That's what spiritual heroes do. They find a way to do the hard things. That's right. In Jeremiah chapter 38, we read about a man by the name of Ebedmelech. Okay. See, the thing was, Jeremiah was, had, because of his teaching and preaching and warning, he had been thrown into a pit, a very miry pit, and if he left, if he left there, he's going to die. Well, Zedekiah, what kind of king was he? Well, he let Jeremiah, and if it was up to Zedekiah, he's going to let Jeremiah die. But here comes Ebedmelech. He comes in there and says, King, I'm going to rescue Jeremiah. I want you to help me. So all of a sudden the king says, okay, I'll give you some men to help you. And so there he goes. You bet me let rescues Jeremiah out of a miry pit. You see, that's what spiritual heroes do. They find a way to do the hard things. And then fifthly, spiritual heroes give themselves up for other people. They give up their lives for other people. Of course, Jesus calls us to do this. Matthew 16, 24 and 25 16, 24, and 25, it says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever will find his life will lose it. But then notice this. Whoever is willing to lose his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake, he will find it. In other words, you find the key to living. You find the secret to happiness and joy right there. Matthew 16, 25, there it is. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. That's what spiritual heroes do. They give up themselves for other people. That's what moms do. Come on. 
Godly moms, that's what they do. They give up their lives for another. And for generations this has been happening in the kingdom of our Lord. And how blessed we are because godly moms have done that. You know, Glenn and Cindy Colley, who uh, Glenn preaches at the West Huntsville Church in, uh, in Huntsville, uh, they wrote a parenting book several years ago. And in the front part of the book, here's their message to parents. They say, are you, they ask this question, are you willing to sacrifice anything to make sure that your child is able to go to heaven? Are you willing, if you're not willing to make that commitment now, then there's no point for you to go further into this book. You might as well lay it down. In fact, they make the point that if you don't yet have children, and you're not willing to sacrifice anything, anything, to make sure that they have a good grasp of what it takes to go to heaven, then please do not become a parent. Because that's what it takes. Especially on behalf of moms. Dads are there too, of course. Dads are to be the main provider. Moms must give up. That's what they do. Godly moms give up their lives for their children. And it, and it benefits the world in untold ways. Untold ways. That's what adoptive parents do. Those who provide their homes as foster homes, or even those who provide their homes to adopt a child who otherwise would not have a home, especially not a Christian home, what are they doing? Those adoptive parents are giving up their lives for another. Now in just a moment, we're going to take our thoughts, especially toward Jesus, even though what we're talking about this morning is our words from Jesus. But think about Jesus. Think about him for a minute. Can't we say that Jesus did much with little? Oh yeah. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He said one time, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nests, the Son of Man has not a place to lay his head. He was poor. He had a very limited time on this earth. 30, 33 years, that's it. And he didn't even start his ministry until he was about 30 years old. Okay. Look what he did with little. Can we say that Jesus shined under pressure? Absolutely. He shined under pressure. In fact, when they came to arrest him, he just stepped forward and said, Here I am. It just totally shot the men who were there to arrest him. They just, Here I am right here. A common criminal, a thief, would just take off and run. Maybe even somebody who was innocent would just take off and run or try to hide. <coughs> Jesus said, I'm here. This is what I come for. This is why I'm on earth for. Here I am. I'm ready to go to the cross. Can we say that Jesus did what he did for the pure love of it? Has anybody ever loved us like the Lord? Can we say that Jesus found a way to do the hard thing? 
The hardest thing a man has ever done is what Jesus did on the cross. Can we say? Certainly we can. Galatians 1 verse 4 says, He gave Himself up for our sins. How can we not follow Him? And this morning we're about to sing the song of encouragement. If we can assist, pray, study with anyone in reference to your relationship with the Lord Jesus, we'd be glad to do that even today, even here in just a little while. It may be that you're ready to put Jesus on in baptism for forgiveness of sins. It may be you just want to come back home and let this crowd know that you are going to be the Lord. You're going to be His in heart, soul, mind, and strength. Will you come right now as we stand, as we sing, Brother Jesus?